Welcome to Tro Black TV's weekly podcast where we feature the world's most extreme athletes. This week, we're featuring Pamela Shanti Pack, the undisputed queen of off with crack climbing. With more than 50 first ascents under her belt, including Forever at War, 513C slash D, and over 100 first female ascents. Pamela, welcome to our show. How are you doing? Awesome, man. We finally get to connect again. How are you? I know. I'm really <laughs> tired right now, but I've just been drinking a lot of coffee so I can uh, stay awake and chat with you again. Meanwhile, I'm in a parking lot and there's a lot of noise, so sorry about that. <laughs> well, well, tell me about your truck. What's your truck like? Oh, I've got actually, oh, it is so awesome. It's um, a Tacoma and it's a. Uh, I'm from Montana, so of course I got it lifted, and I have uh, 33-inch tires and racing shocks, and I just ordered a, an aluminum bumper, sliders, and skid plates. So, um, you know, it's a little bit of a redneck truck, but it, it's perfect. It's the, the ultimate off-width truck. <laughs> <laughs> so the guys yeah. like really freak out. They see this badass-looking truck pull up. And I'll step this five foot. Do you have five foot two or three? Or yeah, I'm like five foot three, and I don't step out. I basically fall out of it. I mean, it's pretty, it's pretty twisted. <laughs> yeah, I love it. <laughs> you just flex those muscles, and they just step back. So, oh my god! <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, it's great. I, you know, I actually think I might. There's like three things in life I really love, and it's first would definitely be my lifted truck, and then my Bosch. <laughs> Which model Bosch do you have? <laughs> oh, I have a 36 volt lithium ion battery Bosch. It's great, but it's you know it's a little heavy for me. I have a hard time drilling over my head with it, so I'm gonna I'm gonna back it up. I'm gonna get another uh, one of those Milwaukee 12 volt um, hammer drills. Are great, so I'm gonna get one of those as well. So you have you done an advertisement for Milwaukee or Barsha? Uh, I could just see you there with your Bosch and you're just standing there flexing your muscles and just badass. <laughs> Absolutely. Sure. It's really tiny. So like the big Bosch, I mean, it's, it's only six pounds, but it's a little bit hard to drill over my head with that one. So the 12 volt is a little bit better for drilling over my head, which I seem to be doing a lot of in the last week. So that's uh Oh, you know, I got, I got to ask you, what is a Yale graduate? Because you, you graduated from Yale, right? Yeah. Yeah. What are you doing in the middle of the Moab desert in a pickup truck? Yeah, you know what? A lot, um, I wonder that often. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, it definitely was not. I wasn't like in college thinking, wow, I want to be an off-width climber living in the back of my truck in the desert someday. That really wasn't my uh, intention. Making the big bucks too, right? Yeah, making <laughs> making the big money, sleeping in the coma. <laughs> <laughs> that was not my plan while I was, you know, undergrad. I I studied art and architecture, and I planned on being somewhere in that kind of realm. Um, but um, yeah, it's not the way it turned out. Um, so this is. <laughs> so did you just take a left when everyone else was going right? What happened? I don't know. I ask myself that all the time, especially when I'm talking to my friends from college, and they're like, what the hell are you doing? I'm like, well, no, I don't know how this happened exactly. 
Although I do feel like art, you know, often is a, a particular type of art. So I, I kind of justify it that way, saying this is an art form. It is very creative anyway. But, oh, absolutely. Um, that's, yeah, that's the way I justify it to my family and to my friends. <laughs> you're, you're being an artist. It's expressing herself with off with cracks. Yeah, and I, I think you and I had chatted about this before, but I do feel <laughs> that my roots tend to be autobiographies. And you and I had discussed that a little bit before, but that I like my all my roots to reflect my state of mind at the time that I was creating them and that I can leave them as a legacy. So when when other people do come back and repeat those roots, they learn a little bit about me. Um Although many of my roots will probably not get repeated for thirty years, so I <laughs> don't feel bad. <laughs> That's a sad story. It's like writing a book no one wants to read. It all feels like too scary. Or <laughs> oh, you know, you just got to go through that because I remember back in nineteen eighty six. Oh, this is a long, long time ago before most people were born. <laughs> but I put up this climb called Maniac. And, yeah, well, that sounds and, good. That sounds like a good time. You know, while I was born and raised in the state of Maine, here I am in Maine, the most northeastern point in the United States. And I yeah. put up this climb, and I really didn't know how hard it was. I knew it was harder than anything I'd ever done. And at the time, you know, it was 513C at the time. It was the hardest I'd ever done. And so I, I did this one route, and I thought, wow, maybe it's a 514. I didn't know. And so I... <laughs> I it didn't get repeated for like 30 years, seriously, until Alex Hummel came along and repeated it. Oh, that is awesome. <clears throat> yeah. And he, he goes, dude, that was pretty hard, you know? It's like, uh, especially considering when you did it. <laughs> like, I was. Oh, that is so <laughs> A relic cool. or something. <laughs> that is so cool. <laughs> he confirmed the rating, yeah. said it was probably, you know, I would have to say conservatively 13D, you know? And, uh, and then Climate Magazine yeah. called immediately and said, well, then, you know, are you aware of the fact that that was probably one of the hardest climbs in the world at the time? Uh, and I, I wasn't aware of that, but apparently I made some, <laughs> yeah, no. did something cool. right. <laughs> and, and now, so and now awesome. that's a warm-up climb for most people. I mean, it's just like uh, 13D. <laughs> I mean, we must have 10,000 13Ds out there now. <laughs> oh, that is so cool, though. I, yeah, I, I don't know what will happen in the future when people repeat some of my roots. And my, the hard roots do get repeated. I mean, technically, the ones with big numbers people love to repeat. But the ones that I just give like a 10 plus or an 11 RX just don't seem to be as popular. Although, again, you and I have talked about this. Those are by far my favorite roots, the adventure mm-hmm. climbs, the ones that are, you know, ridiculous. Loose rock, bad pro, like leaping <laughs> chasm, things like that. You know, it's like, <laughs> You could die. Way fun. Yeah, you could do something. Could go really wrong. <laughs> you might be in a wheelchair the rest of your life. Yeah, let's go do it. <laughs> but you should do it. You should definitely do it. Like, yeah, that's it. Just don't fall. Now that, exactly. Don't fall. Don't miss the leap. You know, that's actually my my biggest fear lately. I've been um, trying to repeat the roots of a, a lot of the old master master climbers. And uh, a lot of them have description, root descriptions that sound just terrifying, like death flake, loose blocks, leaping mantle. And I was like, what the hell is a leaping mantle? <laughs> <laughs> what is a leaping mantle? 
I haven't done it yet, but I've been practicing a lot this week. Apparently, you jump like six feet across a chasm to a mantle. It's like a five ten mantle, and you mantle up. But if you miss it, you like take this big digger off this tower down a an abyss. <laughs> so, I'm like, ah, oh, it sounds like fun. <laughs> so far, I haven't had enough success just on the ground that I'm willing to go try that yet. <laughs> That's hysterical. Yeah, yeah, a little scary. <laughs> so, so I understand your father was a poet. Yes. Very famous poet. Yes, yes, he is. Um, he's a poet, and uh, he writes and he predominantly knows about... <laughs> he does, he knows it. <laughs> he predominantly writes about the landscape and um, about family and... Uh, so we do have that same that similar connection to um the places that we live and um although he doesn't I think I've mentioned this before he's not a big fan of climbing or my climbing but as long as my parents have pictures they they like to see pictures of me climbing but the upside down ones they like to just switch everything to right side up they don't they're not wild about the upside down climbing <laughs> technique <laughs> That's our daughter. Yeah. Oh my god! <laughs> yeah, they're like, "What the hell?" But uh, yeah, they they pretend to think it's kind of cool, but I think they're actually kind of horrified. <laughs> Has it influenced any of his uh, poems? Uh, you know what? It hasn't. I don't know if it's influenced his writing that much, but um, he's definitely, I think, grown to appreciate what I do. I think that you know, initially, my family thought climbing was just ridiculous and you really want your daughter who's a Yale graduate to go ahead and become a, an off with climber. No, it's not any parent's dream for their child, but <laughs> they have grown to appreciate it. And especially that component of it, the creative and artistic component, they do seem to enjoy that a little bit, or maybe they're just lying to me. I'm, I'm not really sure. <laughs> but. What draws you to office the most? Yeah, we did discuss that a little bit, and I've been thinking about it a little more this week because I was uh, just midway up a pitch after talking to you, and, and I was like, holy shit, this is so painful. And I, I had been talking to you about avoiding pain, you know, that being something I'm, I can overcome on off with. But, um, yeah, there is quite a bit of pain involved. And uh, I think what most attracts me to off is, one, the, the ability to be incredibly creative, because when I started climbing off with about seven years ago, there was still a tremendous room for creativity, and the style hadn't been fully developed. There were techniques that could still be developed and refined, and I, I still feel that there are. Every time I get on an off with, something occurs to me that I've never done. I'm like, wow, I've never done that before. This is, it's like a, it, it evolves continually. So that's one aspect I do love is the creative component. And well, then what's, the a other, good example, what's, a good, what's a good example of that? What technique oh, have you for, discovered? Well, I think, um, so levitation had been invented before I began off with climbing. And levitation uh, was invented by Tony Uniro and Randy Levitt uh, in order to climb Pisano's overhang. And that, most people think of levitation as climbing inverted, which it, it's not really. 
but it's any combination of stacking your hand and getting your moving, making progress with stacked hands for the most part. And it does, it, that did involve into the invert style of climbing. But when I began, nobody had done or nobody knew about completely inverting in squeeze chimneys. So I was the first, um, to probably one of the first, if not the first, to develop a route where I was completely inverted in a squeeze. Does that mean like part of your body is squeezed into it? Yeah. Even like my entire body was in it. And, you know, not just my feet or just my hands, not just up to my knees, but my entire body, including my head. So if you were under, you wouldn't see me at all. It was just like being in a regular squeeze chimney, but upside down. And that hadn't been done um, yet. So that was a really uh, fun new new kind of invention. And now people do it, but really nobody had ever used that to develop a route before in the U.S. You know, I'm, I'm sure maybe somebody had done it by accident in a chimney somewhere, but mm-hmm. <laughs> nobody had intended to. So, um, Name that uh, particular technique? No, I, I actually haven't. I, I should have. Um, but I never, I never, yeah, I still could. Maybe I'll come up with something after a couple beers or something like that. <laughs> <I don't know. laughs> but yeah, that's, so that's one aspect. I, I love the creativity. And then the other two aspects that I love the most are probably one of them is what keeps people from climbing off with. And that's the pain and the grovel and the, uh, you know, that, that's part of it. That's why most people avoid off with. And I absolutely love the pain and suffering involved in off with. And then on top of that, there's the extreme physical component. So it's just uh, brutal emotionally, mentally, and physically. And I love the idea of overcoming this um, extreme physical duress <laughs> and applying very creative and difficult technique at the same time. So it's just that added uh, that added component to off with. I think that first really drew drew me to off with because it's hard to remember and to focus on technique when you're in a tremendous amount of pain, and uh, it it does present an additional challenge that uh, I appreciate. So does that does that probably, pain, does the pain feed you a little bit? You know, I've been wondering about that in the last few days. I'm like, holy shit, my toenail hurts so badly. My toenails fall out every season. They get kind of pushed out of my foot from heel toeing. <laughs> and it's super disgusting. But, yeah, I think the pain, maybe it's the endorphins from the pain that add to that addictive aspect of off-with climbing. Because when people ask me about why I I can't take rest days. It makes me insane. I think it is that addictive component, which is probably, um, it is based probably in those endorphins from the pain and uh, also from the fear. So it's a constantly, you know, high adrenaline state. And uh, I absolutely love that in all aspects of my life. So the combination of the pain, the fear fuel you in a way. Yeah, I think it really does. It, it inspires me and motivates me. And, uh, yeah, for some reason I do seem to enjoy it. Although at the time I probably sound like I don't. <laughs> mm-hmm. so, but does it, does the pain all of a sudden, like, do you, like, 
I know for myself, people go, aren't you terrified? And I go, well, sometimes there are moments when I've been on a wall and my suction cups are sliding off and I'm on a skyhook and the skyhook's <laughs> popping off. Yeah, there's a moment of absolute sheer terror, but then something <laughs> happens. <laughs> and it's weird. Yeah, I don't know how to describe it other than all of a sudden, I am in my own zone. And even though I'm absolutely terrified, all of a sudden, I'm calm. It's the most bizarre thing, and I don't feel any pain. I don't feel tired anymore. I feel, if anything, I feel stronger than I was before. It's weird. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about, and I think that is one of the aspects of Off With that is so fantastic for me. It's exactly that state that you're describing, that there's that sense when you're so physically exhausted and and scared, there's that... um, that complete calm that comes over me. And it, it, I have that same experience when I'm working at scene. I'm in really horrible situations. It's just accepting that you're in this situation that you have to get out of, and suddenly everything becomes very clear and straightforward. And that is another aspect that I, I love about that style of climbing. And I don't experience that on uh, sport climbs or bouldering or, or other I track climbs. I I really need to have the extra aspect of the physical pain, I think, um, for to have that experience. So this, exactly that state you're describing of the kind of calm and peacefulness, um, for me to have that experience, I do need to be on a really difficult route and, and really struggling with either pure exhaustion or pain. So, um, you know, it's unfortunate that I need all of that in order to feel, like, very comfortable and at peace. <laughs> no, I know. It's so bizarre. Yeah. <laughs> it is. It's very, very strange. And we had talked about this once before, but my work in the Bering Sea is similar. I, I feel much more at peace in extreme environments and extreme situations. Um, that's, that's where I'm most, most comfortable and feel most myself. Tell us more. Tell us more about your experience on the boat. Please. So, I I worked, so yes, having gone to Yale wasn't an entire waste of time. I actually <laughs> did start studying um, uh, cartography and uh, remote sensing techniques, and I mainly studied satellite-based and aerial remote sensing techniques. Um, but I wanted to live in Alaska for a year, so I moved to Alaska, and there was a company that was about 20 minutes away from where I lived, and I went in to do an interview with them, and um, they were entirely, they do uh, hydrographic surveying, which I had no experience with. I'm not a big fan of water, and uh, I think I had mentioned this. They asked if I got seasick. I totally denied it. I was like, no, absolutely not. Meanwhile, I had never even really spent any time on a boat, so I didn't have any idea. Um, and then uh, <laughs> next thing you know, I'm like in the Bering Sea in 25-foot seas and realizing that, yes, I get horrendously seasick. And I, <laughs> you oh, God. That it is the worst feeling on earth. <laughs> Yeah, the worst thing in the world. I mean, I do like suffering, but that is one type of suffering I'm not fond of, is oh. the, you know, puking off the side of a boat indefinitely <laughs> isn't my top choice. 
I know a lot of people think how romantic it is to be on a boat with, you know, and fishing and all that kind of stuff and just thinking that how wonderful until they get on the boat and they find out that they're just puking on the side because they're just so seasick. Exactly. <laughs> and I'm sure you've experienced that when you were fishing, you know? Everyone's like, wow, that's so nice. You're fishing. <laughs> Oh my God! I know. I, I did it for uh, nearly a year working on a fishing boat, and they were the worst days of my entire life. I, I still look <laughs> back on them with just, just like, oh, never, I never have to experience that ever again. <laughs> <laughs> I just had these what memories of. I, I remember when we were pulling up this fishing line, we were we were trawling, and uh, we had like <laughs> these miles of uh, fish nets that were pulling up, and. Yeah. We were pulling it up, and all we could see in the in this rough, rough sea were like 15, 20 foot waves, and we're slammed down. Oh. And, I, and I would be smelling the diesel, and I'd be smelling the fish, and, <laughs> and the water would be coming over the side. You'd be hanging on for your dear life because you think you're going to die any second. Oh, and they'd yes. be, pull, they'd be pulling over. You're going to die. <laughs> I know. <laughs> and I'm just like going, Oh my God! And the and the captain would be puking over the side. Everyone's sick, and the, and he's going, God damn wife, should know better than cook me blueberry pancakes. Oh, <laughs> we go back under again. Oh, <laughs> you know, so just, you, you really I was cured. I was cured forever after that. <laughs> I never had to work on another boat. <laughs> Yeah, it, that is, it's an incredible kind of fear, like you and I have discussed a bit. It's a primal fear. It's, and then an acceptance. You're like, okay, I'm terrified. And then you're not even scared anymore. You're like, this is just how I'm going to go. This is what's going to happen. I'm going to drown here, and that's just how it is. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've had that experience at sea quite often. I, there's a lot of times when I come back from working at sea and I get on a terrifying, you know, what should be a terrifying, dangerous off with, and I'm like, this is nothing. At least it's not moving. You know, I'm not going to drown. So maybe it does put things in perspective. I think that kind of work, the fishing and the deep sea fishing and the people working off the coast and the Bering Sea are just, that's like the most badass of anything from my experience. (laughs) Absolutely. So in many ways, it sounds like it almost trained you for um, doing off with yeah, I mean, it was a good back and forth. When I was climbing off for a while and then I'd go back to sea, it was a really nice, um, it was kind of a, a absolutely opposite world. So I'm in the desert climbing off and then I'm next thing you know, I'm in 25-foot seas, and you know what that's like. It's just brutal. So uh, they were, it was interesting going back and forth between desert and ocean. Um, it's been a really weird way to live. Uh, because the two worlds are almost impossible to imagine that it's the same world. I mean, it's completely two different lives. So that, that has been interesting. But that was yeah. the only way you there, could support yourself at the time, wasn't it? Yeah, and at the time, that's how I was supporting myself. And, uh, like, again, I I appreciated the suffering up there. And to such an extent that I decided I wanted to set a record in the company for how long somebody could be at sea for consecutive 12 to 16-hour days of work. And I, I managed 72 consecutive days. So, Oh, my God, but it 72 was, days in a row? Yeah, 72 days of 12 to 16-hour work days out at sea. And that was... Wow. Um, yeah, it's sucked it sucked by the end of it it was weird it was like just a big hallucination i was like working for 12 
sleeping for 12, working for 12, sleeping for 12, and everything blended together into some weird blur. So <laughs> it was awful. <laughs> so I take it you weren't like in some romantic relationship at that time? No. No, <laughs> no I I'm going to say, unless he was a sicko, too. <laughs> yeah, no, no, nothing. There was nothing else in my life. It was just survive, day to day, just survival. <laughs> and it was nice actually not being in any kind of a relationship, because one thing that I really dislike, I, I mean, I appreciate suffering. I appreciate the physical <laughs> suffering and the mental suffering, but I do not appreciate the missing someone or something because I feel like it really detracts from my experience from the place mm. I'm in. So if I'm, if I'm climbing somewhere and missing somebody somewhere else, it really detracts from my experience, I feel. So um, I have was you really had that, glad Have you had that happen to you? I have, I have, I had, and I don't like it. <laughs> so I avoid it. <laughs> so is that to say you're not in a relationship now? Exactly. <laughs> not. You know, and, not. And we had mentioned that before. It's really hard to, it's one, it's hard to be a female climber living on the road climbing and having a relationship. That's hard enough. But when you throw in being at sea three to six months a year, that's even more difficult. And um, I, I think that it makes relationships pretty, pretty challenging if you're going to be apart more than six months a year. Mm-hmm. Unless so, that person um, had the same passion, maybe. Exactly, and you know, to find somebody who's like, "Wow, I really want to live on the road and climb off with eight months a year." <laughs> <laughs> Sign not, me up. It's <laughs> not, not, not a long list of people. <laughs> no, there's not a long list, but you never know. <laughs> no, you could you, you could uh, put an ad in Google, you know. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, maybe I will. Like on some like online dating site, you know, you must be interested in climbing off with six to eight months a year to see what happens. <laughs> <laughs> and puking over the boat, the other four. Yeah, and and then puking off of a boat in a Bering Sea for a few months. Yeah, and so far it's been you know pretty difficult to make that work. <laughs> oh God. You first got into Opwood. Kind of reminds me a little bit of talking to Tom Randall because, you know, he was way into bouldering and doing hard sports, yeah. and, and he injured himself. He injured a finger, and he still, you know, he had he couldn't climb. Was told he yeah. couldn't climb, and yet at the same time he had to figure out a way of how he could climb because he, his passion yeah. for climbing was just so great that he discovered Opwood in, in the most bizarre way. It sounds like you did kind of the same thing. Well, that's, that's interesting. I didn't know that about Tom, but um, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was it was actually very similar. I was um, absolutely obsessed with climbing, and uh, but mainly I was I was really obsessed with bouldering and mixed mixed ice climbing. I love mixed climbing and bouldering and um, trad and aid. I basically I, I loved I just loved climbing anything and I climbed one winter um quite a lot and I started having some pretty severe pain in my forearms and it got to a point where I was in Uri ice climbing that I actually couldn't even get my hands off my ice tools I had to have pry them off and um I went to the ER I was like what the hell is this excruciating pain and it turned out that I had something that's rare but I think it's becoming more commonly diagnosed now um called uh, chronic exertional compartment syndrome. 
And basically, it's it's the same as compartment syndrome. It's it's considered like a crush injury. And so my forearms, the muscle inside the muscle sheath was growing too quickly for the muscle sheath itself to expand. So it was causing a lot of nerve damage and oxygen deprivation into my hands. So I really um, I couldn't use my hands very well at all. I couldn't hold a coffee cup. I couldn't cramp. And I saw, I think, about four different surgeons. And the surgery at the time was a really complicated surgery where they'd open up my hand from the middle of my palm up to my bicep. And they open up all the muscle compartments and put a big loose uh, stitch in there with a skin graft so there was more room for the muscle to grow. And there were some really severe complications that could happen, like amputation. (laughs) And I was like, you know, I don't think climbing is not worth that. So I I decided I would stop climbing, and uh, all the surgeons recommended. They said, you'll never climb again. That's it. You've got to quit climbing or you'll really lose the function of your hands. And uh, about two weeks went by where I wasn't climbing, and I bought a mountain bike, and I was like, wow, I suck at this, and I don't even think it's that much fun. (laughs) I decided I, I was, like, looking at my old guidebooks, like, crying on my couch, and um, I saw a picture of Craig Lubin on Lucille, which is a really famous off with in Vivu, Wyoming, and I'm like, wow, his whole body's in there. I'm like, he doesn't need to crimp. It's like he's squeezed in there. So I thought maybe I could try that and see if it was possible that I could still climb. So um, I found a little group of people. Yeah, it was, it was amazing. So it was like really it turned out to be like the most amazing thing in my a life. A blessing in disguise. It really was because I went to Vitavu, I think, a day later, and uh, I tried my first invert climb. It was a boulder, and I realized that I, this is, like, what I was born to do. I'm like, this is what I am supposed to be making my life about. And it sounds silly, but it really was. I um, devoted my entire life to Oslo since that day. So, uh, yeah, wow. it was actually kind of a, a good thing, I guess, to have happened, and I still have a hard time with the crimping, but, you know, I can actually do finger cracks, and I do finger cracks, and I do some bouldering still, but um, primarily, obviously, off-widths, and, and because I just I love off with more than any other style. So I was really lucky to have overcome that. Um, That's maybe. an incredible story. <laughs> it was pretty of how you cool. turned a, it, a negative into a positive. Yeah, it, it, looking back on it, it's an, an outrageous experience because I thought I was done with climbing and I um, was able to take that injury and then make a career of climbing. And so the chances of that, I, it's, it's hard to believe, but uh, that's how it worked. And so invert style was my, initially was my favorite style because I, I didn't have to use my hands much. I you know, like an arm bar and chicken wing. There's a lot of off with techniques that, you don't really need to be able to crimp. Um, mm-hmm. So uh, that was, yeah, an that, amazing that, experience. Did that immediately like, kind of change how you trained and everything else? Oh, yeah. It changed my life dramatically. It was, uh, when I first started climbing off with, it was, I spent three months in Vitavu climbing, I think five or six days a week for the first three months because I was so obsessed with it. And I, at that point, I wasn't training. I was just climbing and climbing and climbing. 
And I was so unbelievably <laughs> obsessed with it that if there was a day I had a plan and my partner had to cancel for some reason, I would just be home crying. I'm like, I can't, I have to be climbing. I have to be. Um, so it was a, <laughs> it was just an immediate addiction and obsession. I guess that would really be the only way to describe it. And then, yeah, it did go on as I realized there were more climbs I wanted to do. I wanted to be the first woman to um, climb the route with seal in uh, Vidavu, Wyoming. And I remember going home the winter after I had started, and I was like, I'm going to do it. I'm going to be the first woman to climb that. And um, so I, I did. I started training and talking to trainers and talking to coaches and changing um, what I ate. And over the year, last six years, my training has evolved every season for specific routes and to maintain mm. after specific injuries. So it's taken seven years, but now my training is, uh, um, my body is really adapted to offlets and they train um, more so and more specifically. Now? So I, now, um, as I, I was saying once before, we, we've come up with a program where I usually do cardio about six days a week. And the heavy emphasis on my cardio is anaerobic threshold training because a, a lot of people who try off with will discover really quickly that you'll be climbing and powering through something and then just mega bonk where you're hyperventilating and vomiting. And I wanted to prevent that because I wanted to be able to make it through long blue-collar endurance grovels. It's not so important for the invert style, but for the really long, brutal offlets, you really have to um, focus pretty heavily on the anaerobic threshold training. In my experience, it's been helpful. So that's a lot of interval training. And I do so like when you say interval, interval training, training, is it like doing sprints up and down a football field or... Yeah, sometimes it will be hill. Sometimes it'll be running up hills, and uh, if it's during the winter in Montana, often it will be um, indoors. I, I can even do the intervals. Sometimes it's helpful on an elliptical, so I can time myself, and I'll be determine my heart rate, my max heart rate. I'll I'll try to do intervals where I'm 15 seconds at my max heart rate and then two minutes at 60 to 70% of my max. And then other days, some days will be 90 minutes of intervals where it will be, I'll try to do up to up to a minimum, a minute at my max, and then three minutes at a more of a resting rate of 60 to 70%. Hmm. So, um, so I'll do Does that kind of that stimulate uh, what you would experience if you were off with climbing? Yeah, I think it really does because, again, not so much on the um, invert style, but on the really brutal uh, vertical, what's interesting is you're powering through something and then you get to a rest stance. And, and like I'm always telling people who are new to off with, if you get to a rest stance, stay there and stay there until your heart rate is back to normal. And if that means staying there for 10 minutes, I've stopped at places on a route for 20 to 30 minutes to completely regain my uh, ability to keep climbing. And I think in, in off with that efficiency of movement is crucial. And one of the most important aspects is the ability to rest. The mm. problem is, is the rest stances are often full body isometric holds. So it's not exactly a rest. <laughs> 
So Right, your whole body's um, engaged. Yeah, your whole body's engaged. So it's like sprint to full body isometric rest, you know, rest. Sprint and just repeating that over and over. So I train specifically for that. So I'll be doing the intervals. Um, sometimes I'll do a plyometric workout where I do a couple plyometric circuits and there's at least one session of plyometric holds, I mean of uh, isometric holds in between the plyos to simulate um, off of climbing. So that's one aspect of the training. And then I, I do strength training three days a week usually. Um, I put on muscle mass super quickly, so I don't generally use really heavy weights. Um, so I, I do a lot, of, a lot of strength training, and then I have a couple days of stretching. I do a lot of Pilates, and I do five to six days a week of core training. And by core, I mean back, hips, and abs with a pretty heavy em- emphasis on obliques because there's a lot of, uh, for invert style, there's a lot of oblique twisting. And, and for yeah, vertical. Yeah, sideways, so, and you got to pull yourself Yeah. Up. So I have, you know, I emphasize that really heavily. And uh, what, do you do, what do you do for that, for the obliques like that? Um, I have a couple different uh, different things. A lot of it is isometric holds in the... I, Quite a lot of oblique work in the Pilates. So it's a little hard to describe them, but I could always send you a clip of some videos um, that uh, kind of give you an example of the sort of um, oblique exercises I do. Well, we definitely can include that in your profile page. Awesome. Yeah, so it'll make a couple people super miserable. (laughs) 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 They're really fun, though. But, yeah, so I do... I do train about six days a week, and uh, rest days, of course, are super crucial for recovery, but mentally rest days are impossible for me. Physically, they're great. Mentally, I'm not psyched about rest days. But So what do you do on a rest day? Rest days are miserable. I just, I'm like, oh, what do I do? <laughs> you feel like you should be doing something, right? Yo, yeah, I'm just like, oh, I can't do this. I'm missing out on something. But I try really hard to just take it easy. And if I'm super, super anxious, I'll, I'll just do um, active rest days where I'm just hiking without a backpack or just taking it easy. But, um, yeah, rest days are tough. I like training days. Those are my favorite for sure. <laughs> I hear you. But, I'm the same way. Awesome. Good to hear that. Glad to yeah, know there's, that. Yeah, there's a, there's a number of us out there. There's a there's a whole tribe of sickos out there. <laughs> oh, good. Yeah, You're not alone. <laughs> <laughs> so, it, um, and I know that Tom Randall's got a does a, a quite a training program too, and I found it made a tremendous difference in my climbing. So, um, so I've stuck to it. Yeah, Tom Randall actually got into it. I want to ask you about that. He he devised you know something that there were climbers like Tony Nero and myself that were into creating yeah. these long sicko crack machines out of two right. by sixes, actually two by twelves, and yeah. we'd bolt them together. We'd create these long inverted climbs uh, out these imaginary right. roofs that went for sixty four feet. Right. And you just you'd have to tape yourself, and it was so painful because there's no way on earth jamming your hand and feet into these cracks could possibly be feeling good. Um, but we loved it. Yeah, yeah. And, and you get insanely strong, though, because if you can oh, jam yourself like that, strong. you can definitely do it outside. 
Yeah, I have never built an indoor crack machine, but I haven't really needed to because I'm super lucky to be living in the desert most of the year or living in Vitavu a big chunk of the year where I have circuits where I can train inverted. So I've never built a, never needed to build a crack machine. And I've, I think as far as the inverted style, for me, it's so much easier than vertical that I emphasize almost all my training on the vertical style. So, yeah, I think I said that, mentioned that, and I do tell people often that I was climbing invert 13s within three months, and I was on-siting or getting, you know, second, really second attempt at 12 and 13 inverts in my very first year of off-road climbing and felt wow. comfortable. I really so you, you were didn't have... born natural at that. So, yeah, I was born naturally, just like my body is designed for invert offlets. But for vertical, it was a different story. So, you know, I was doing hard inverts, and within a year, I was on sighting 13. And then it's taken me about six or seven years to actually feel solid on 11B vertical. It's <laughs> so, that weird. That was a lot slower process. Why is that, my you body's think? not... I think my body's just not designed for that kind of um, physical, brutal physical battle. And so it's been something that I wanted to perfect because initially it, when I became an off with climber and I was doing these hard inverts, I was getting recognition and also um, a lot of criticism because people were saying, wow, you're like this one trick pony. All you can do is invert off with. You can't even do 510 vertical. And I decided I would a do one trick the pony. majority. I like that. Yeah. They're like, you only do 513 inverts. I'm like, oh, come on, really? <laughs> <laughs> You're going to get on me for that when you <laughs> can't do it? <laughs> so I'm, I'm pretty competitive and determined. I was like, whatever, I'm going to. Um, I, so I decided I would really focus on becoming a, a, a vertical expert and, and not in just, um, you know, not just in uh, hard squeeze chimney, but every style of vertical off from four-inch cracks to um, full-body stem chimneys. So it's funny because a lo- I do get criticism from people who are like, oh, but you're not a finger crack climber. That's all you can do is off So is and that, I, is that, uh, is that <laughs> primarily like, I mean, because I find this whole thing of you being criticized at all um, why would they criticize you? Yeah, you know what? I don't know. I think it, it's got to be just the competitive nature of climbers. It, it it always it didn't really ever make sense to me. They're like, oh, you're you know, you're fantastic at off with, but you can't do finger cracks. I'm like, does it even matter? I I climb what I love to climb, and exactly. I love to climb off with. So I I do finger cracks. Uh, there's not is this many times walk up. Is this to. criticism coming from men primarily? Primarily, probably yeah. <laughs> uh, I wonder if their men. egos are being uh, <laughs> you know endangered or something. I think that's been what's happened in the last few years because I was really um, I was really the first female offwit climber or the first woman to devote herself to offwit. And Offwit was the last holdout of male-dominated climbing. Uh, there were women <laughs> strong in sport climbing, strong in track Because no one wants to subject himself. <laughs> yeah, there weren't, there weren't women in this style. So it was, I think, a little tough for the um, 
to change the paradigm that way, to uh, have suddenly a, a woman being establishing some of the hardest offwits in the world and repeating some of the hardest offwits in the world, and not just being a woman, but being tiny. I'm like five three. Well, not super tiny, you know, five three, and I'm I'm kind of girly, and so it was a little bit of a shock. I think. <laughs> Um, there have been some other, you know, very strong female office climbers, but I was the first to establish 513, and and that's really was rare for office climbers at the time. There were very few 13s in existence, so that that changed the paradigm. And and now off with, I love seeing more women getting into office climbing. It's it's really great to see that happening, and. One of, but one aspect of that that I did love, I mean, I, I did get a lot of criticism, and I still do. I get a lot of regular hate mail, and it's just no. ridiculous. You know, I'm like, this is like climb off with. But, yeah, I do. <laughs> so, That's insane. I one, oh, it's crazy. I've even gotten death threats. No no shit. <laughs> wow. <laughs> But um, you know, I have a really great attorney, so that's been <laughs> that has not been my favorite aspect of Offwood. Um, but it, it was fun to be able to change that change that paradigm, and um, it is great to see women finally really beginning to dominate in Offwood. But like I said, one of the parts that I thought was fantastic was that I really, aside from this kind of niche of people, you know, these haters that exist across the board, I'm sure, in every sport, I did have a lot of support, and it was, they never singled me out as a female climber, so I was just considered one of the top off-list climbers in the world, but there was never an emphasis on my being a girl, so, and I really appreciated that, because I just want to be seen as an off-list climber, and on the one hand, it's great to have changed that paradigm. And on the other hand, I've appreciated so much just being treated as one of the off-width climbers, not not being distinguished. Like, oh, the first girl to do this. So it's been a little back and forth for me. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that. about that. Because you, you've established, like, what, over 80 first ascents? I think I've done about 40 or 50 first, probably about 50 first descents now. And, um, there's, you know, there's a lot of controversy about female first descents, but I've probably done about, you know, 80 to 100 female first descents, which those I, I, I don't really, um, I don't emphasize that. But yeah, I have done about 40 or 50, um, yeah, more than 50 first descents now. And first descents are definitely my, my main focus. So, yep, well, kudos, kudos, to, kudos, yeah, kudos to you for doing that. <laughs> seriously, because I, I know what it's like to uh, get criticized by some. You know, what's sad about it is that you can get a hundred great responses from people who are praising you, and all it takes is just yeah. one person to be that one person that's giving you the negative criticism for whatever reason it may be. Most of the time, it's just their insecurities. That's yeah, the one you yeah. hear the most. Yeah, it is. It's mainly, I think you're right, uh, someone with some serious insecurities. Because otherwise, what would be the point of sitting around all day and obsessing about somebody else <laughs> who's just climbing? Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> like, what? Is there nothing better you know? to do? 
I, I can't uh, imagine uh, anyone uh, criticizing Tom Randall and uh, Jim Whitaker for doing what they're doing. And uh, but yet, when a woman tries to do the same thing, they're given criticism. That's sad. Yeah. It's been hard. I think as far as my experience in the last seven years, that's probably been the most difficult aspect of it. And it's really only been in the last year that I've just realized that there's nothing I can do and I just avoid it entirely. Mm -hmm. So I just try to put it out of my head as much as possible. And how, how how do you do that? Well, I guess the way I think about it is if I'm getting that much shit from people, I must be doing something badass. Yeah, you are. You're you're, you're threatening them. <laughs> so I try to look at it that way. And uh, in a lot of ways, it's been a tremendous motivation for me. And I don't think that niche of people really understood that they inspired me to climb harder, um, which would probably bum them out. Um, because, yeah, the more criticism I got, the the more I trained and the harder I climbed. So... Um, in that way, it's been kind of a good motivation for me. And Interesting. So, yeah. <laughs> Has it motivated you to, uh, I, I know we talked about this before, about um, Century Crack. Um, yes, yes. That that would I be have... like a major achievement, especially for, yeah. um, for the women climbing. I hate to say that, you know, it's like, I know it's controversial to talk about first right. female ascent. But right. yet it is it is in some ways uh, important for women to be acknowledged that they are climbing just as hard as men. It, yeah, and that's true. I mean, when I think of first female ascents, there are particular routes that I think are very significant. And one of those was Lucille in Vitavu, Wyoming, because Lucille is an iconic offwitz, and it's the first was the first to be. Um, rated 13A, and, um, you know, I don't know, consensus on the grade is somewhere in that 12 plus, 13 minus, um, but it was established by Jay Anderson over 25 years ago and has been considered one of the most brilliant, iconic offwits in history, and so it had, it had had about seven ascents in 25 years, and I was the first female to do it, and I on-sighted it, so that was a Whoa. significant change in offwit history. So, yeah, that one I felt was very significant. And as far as the first female ascent, I felt that was notable as the first female ascent because it did change uh, history a bit that way. So, um, yeah, I think there are some that should be recognized as first female ascent, and others I think it's not really so necessary. Um, but in, in that case, because it was a pretty large shift in world of offerings. <laughs> yeah, yeah no I'm, I'm eager to do the century crack. I haven't been to it yet. I haven't seen it yet. And like, uh, I haven't watched any videos of it. I wanted to, um, a super long shot because it's going to be brutal. I know that, but I, I'd like to give it an on-site attempt and see what happens there. You know, so I, I'm very eager to do the century crack. I'm either, it, it looks outrageous. So, I'll either give it a try this spring or in the fall and start. Um, right now I've got a, a number of first descents I'm trying to finish. And I, I do, I'm so into the first descents that it's hard to put those aside for repeats. But um, I think I'll have a good time on the century crack. So um, I'm, I also, I feel like I have some pluses and minuses. I have the advantage of being smaller. So 
more of my body will fit into the invert. And generally when you're inverted, the more of your body you can get into the cracks, the more solid you are. So I think that will be a plus in some ways. Um, but then there'll be the disadvantage of a heavy rack and uh, my weighing 110 pounds, so the rack will be a bigger percentage of my body weight pulling me out of the climb while I'm inverted. But um, How do you carry that much gear? I train to carry that much gear. I train during the winter. I try to put on muscle mass, and uh, I do a lot of training with um, in the past with a weight vest. I try to simulate what it will be like to have that much gear. And at this point, it used to be really hard for me to carry a heavy rack. And now it's actually not so bad. Even even now while I'm in the desert, I work on my FAs. And in between that, I go pick out really long, burly offwits and climb them with a 15 or 20-pound rack on just to TR over and over. Anytime I TR anything, I put on a full rack as if I was going to be climbing it um with an extra heavy rack, just so that I'm constantly adapted to carrying that heavier weight, uh, which has been great because I don't notice so much of a difference anymore. Usually the biggest problem I have isn't the weight, but the surface area. <laughs> yeah. How do it's I on, fit through Because <laughs> you got to squeeze inside there. Yeah. Does, do, do you let it hang outside of you, underneath you? Oh, it's crazy. I'm sure you've experienced this kind of thing climbing yourself, but I've got a root of them working on. I'm like, I cannot fit through the squeeze with the rack of gear I need for this one route. So I have to, um, I drop it off of my harness on a long runner to go through this really tight squeeze. And then when I get around the corner, I can pull it up. So yeah, there are all sorts of little tricks to get the... <laughs> get the gear with me. Um, but on Century Crack, I'm going to go with a lighter rack. I'm going to, um, you know, I'm going to load it up heavily through any area that I might have ground falls and then I'll, a little bit lighter rack, yeah, after that. Because I, I don't mind taking 40 or 50 foot falls as long as I'm not landing on the ground. So, uh, well, I'll just give give it a go. I think that there'll be quite, a, you know, there, there will be repeats of the Century Crack for sure. And um, it does it does look like a lot of fun so i'm I'm excited about it and uh i'm excited to get back to some inverts because i've been focusing you know so heavily on on hard vertical which i think will help me out too because i'm i'm ultra fit right now so might be a good time to go do something silly (laughs) how important is the um weight to strength ratio do you weigh yourself do you do you know what you weigh right now you know, I try to avoid weighing myself. I'm guessing I'm probably like 110 pounds right now, but I get so hung up on it that I really try to avoid it. And I try to go by, um, you know, more how I'm feeling training and how I'm feeling climbing. And occasionally I'll want to be a little heavier, have more muscle mass, and then sometimes I want to have less depending if I'm doing more heavily inverts or more heavily on, on the vertical climbs, I adapt my body. Invert, would you be lighter? Yeah, I like to be lighter for inverts and then um, put on mass for vertical. I find it just helpful to weigh the rack. <laughs> so, <laughs> that's always a plus. <laughs> but... Um, yeah, I, I think there's been advantages being really tiny because it's pushed me in a different way. I have to, uh, 
I have to bump gear longer and uh I have to you know I've started using a lot more big bros rather than cams and uh, so it's presented a, a good challenge for me that's uh, made me a much stronger stronger technical climber why why do you think more women aren't into first ascents like men um you know I don't really know because I love them so much that it's hard for me to understand why anybody wouldn't want to do just first ascents. <laughs> But, I mean, you are going into the unknown. It's unexplored territory. It's uncharted. There's a lot of objective hazard. And I'm not sure women are as encouraged to seek out first descents. Um, I was lucky that it just happened that because I like this invert style, there just weren't enough routes for me to do. So I had to start seeking out essays. Or, or I was going to be done with all the inverts really quickly. <laughs> so, um, but I, I do, in every aspect of my life, I've, I've liked to go into this kind of uncharted territory. And um, I'm hoping that, uh, yeah, them, I hope that women do get more interested in, in first descents. One of the tough parts about them is they do take a tremendous amount of time if it's a route that needs a lot of cleaning and so I'll, I'll spend two weeks cleaning a route and establishing a route, and I could have done 40 or 50 routes in that amount of time. So it does take up a lot of time. But for me, it's much more satisfying than repeating routes. Although I, I do have a uh, fondness for doing second ascents. <laughs> so, um, well, which really which like, one, uh, which, if you're going to look back on all your ascents, which one really stands out? Wow, um, that's such a tough question, but I think um, so. obviously some of my first descents, Gabriel was a really significant route for me because it was the first 13 established by a woman, um, and it was maybe my third trad off with ever, so um, that was a very significant ascent for me. Being the first woman to climb Lucille was huge. That That one was important. Um, others of other FAs of mine have been meaningful to me, but I think um, one of the routes that stands out the most was, um, or some of the routes that stand out the most are Craig Lubin's routes because Craig was such an inspiration to me and a mentor and really encouraged me to continue off with despite the haters and the negative you know, the negative attitudes. He's like, stick with it. You're going to be one of the best in the world. Just don't quit. And so when he passed away, I went on a pilgrimage to repeat uh, his top 10 favorite offlets in the desert. And I think repeating those 10 routes of Craig's was more meaningful to me than any of the mm -hmm. first descents I've done, aside from Gabriel. I felt like I learned so much about him by repeating his routes. And from the beginning of those 10 to the end of those 10, I, I felt like I had been training with a master. I had learned so much over the course of those 10 routes. And so as far as routes that I've repeated, I think that that experience of his climbing his 10 was the most meaningful to me. What do you think you learned the most? 
Wow, I first I really I learned that I sucked at vertical offlet for one. <laughs> and, then, <laughs> and then over the course of them it was so fascinating because I would climb one and then the next one I'm like, wow, I never would have been able to do this if I hadn't done that. And really those ten routes, um I had to really learn every technique that offwits presents from off fist cracks to hand fist stacks to butterflies to cast locks to invert to um, arm bars and chicken wings and double chicken wings. Really, those 10 routes covered absolutely every style that I needed to know to then go on and focus on first descents myself and to um, to create more where from where he left off to continue that tradition of, of hard vertical creative roots so um yeah those 10 roots i learned pretty much everything i needed to know <laughs> wow <clears throat> uh, yeah and, and craig was a brilliant climber with a beautiful vision so his roots are just stunning and i still love taking people back to those roots because across the board anyone who gets on them is like these are astounding climbs and they were done 25 years ago before we had big cans so craig's out there doing them with all big bros you know i'm like if i don't have a can that i'm bumping the entire pitch i'm terrified (laughs) and lately i've been trying to go back and do a lot of his in his style with just big bros without a, a cam I mean, modern off-width climbers, we do have the advantage of bigger gear, and it makes all of these routes far safer, and that's a plus. Do, I, I do, do, you ever, do you ever worry about them ripping out? Oh, yeah, and they've done it before. I mean, I, <laughs> when people are like, oh, you're so safe, you're you're on TR, you're bumping a cam, I mean... Some of the worst, one of the worst falls I took was when I was bumping a cam and took it out for just a second and fell. And so I took a, you know, like a huge fall. So yeah, bumping cams is, is scary and can be dangerous. And I do try to encourage people who are learning to climb off with to bump two cams at a time until they feel more confident. Now I'll bump one for 40 feet, but I initially um, really encourage people to bump two because especially sixes, tipped out sixes, eventually one falls out and there you are 40 feet above your last gear on one tipped out six. That's just not where you want to be. Not at all. <laughs> you know? Not at all. It's not cool. <laughs> but, um, yeah, the modern gear, like the nine-inch cam is revolutionary. It's changed off with um, forever, it's opened up entirely new realms of possibility because roots before that were nine inches, you could protect with big bros, but now, you know, I've used a nine to bump, uh, push a cam with me a hundred, 150 feet. So a route that in the past would have been impossible to protect, now you can relatively be safe on a top rope, um, for the most part, although they fall out too. So, mm-hmm. The nine-inch cam, just like other larger cams in history, have really given us the opportunity to um, be a lot safer, and uh, that's a plus. I, in, I've been trying to use the nine-inch cam less than I have just to kind of push myself a little more, um, but that is, that's been a, a huge change. In, in all. When you say push yourself more, just make it a little sportier? 
Yeah, a little sportier. Scare myself a little more. Yeah, so you're not like <laughs> you're not bump you're not bumping it. You're like running it out instead. Yeah, just running it out, and and that's been important for me um, to push myself to be a little bolder, because you will often as an office climber and, and any style of trad climber, you're going to get somewhere where you don't have gear for twenty or thirty feet, and um, it's it's good for me to practice that, and so. Just having one nine or not using nines and just using big bros um, pushes me to be a little bit more bold, and uh, I think that's a, a plus. Um, but then, you know, there are times I back off. I I was wanting to do a second ascent of a route in Moab recently and got up there without a nine, and I was like, no way in hell am I doing that without a nine. I'm out of here, even though there were bolts. <laughs> it was like I'm not doing it. So Have you ever... Um found yourself in a position where you felt like stuck like, and you couldn't move and thought that you were going to have to be rescued. Yes, yes. And I think the worst of them was a case I might have mentioned to you, I'm not sure, but I, I was stuck. I got my knee really badly stuck. And this is after years of telling people, oh, don't panic. If you're stuck, just think it through. You can, you'll be okay. I panicked. I mean, sheer terror. And I pulled my knee out immediately and dislocated my kneecap and tore my ACL. And I was like, okay, that was worth it. I would, I'd rather do that than be stuck in there. So oh my God. That, that, that was the worst I'd ever gotten um, done. Uh, how did you but get yeah. it out? Did you just like literally rip it out? I literally ripped my, ripped it out. I was reaching behind me to a hold and I pulled my knee so hard that I, I knew something bad was going to happen. I'm <laughs> like, this can't be okay. It's like a, yeah, it is like a primal fear, just the impending doom. It's, that is a, one aspect of off with that I'm I'm not super fond of. Um, and and I've gotten my arm stuck, and I've gotten you know my leg stuck. But yeah, there's a route I'm establishing right now that I'm pretty terrified about getting my knee stuck in. So I'm going to some extreme measures to avoid getting my knee stuck. It's a it's a roof. Well, it's 60 degrees. It's not It's not a invert style, and it's not a right-side-up style. It's sort of a weird in-between, semi-inverted, semi-vertical style. And I find those to be brutal. And uh, it's calf lock, so it's old fours, which is just the size everybody dreads. You can't, it, you can't get your leg in it. You can't get your knee in it. You're doing butterfly hands. Um, and it's hard to get gear in. And there's one point where I kind of can get my knee in, but I'm avoiding it because I'm like, if I fall, I'm never getting my knee out. So um, I'm doing some weird sideways sort of upside down stuff to avoid that because it's not cool to get stuck at all. <laughs> no, is, is that one of your greatest fears of getting stuck? Yeah, um, as far as fears on off with go, I, there's not much that I'm super scared of. I I do get concerned about falls where I'll hit my head, um, but it's not something I think about while I'm actually climbing. But I do get concerned about getting stuck. I, I do not want my knees stuck. Um, so as far as going into roots with any kind of a particular fear, I don't really think about it going into the climb, but I certainly do if I suddenly get my knee stuck in something and have a moment I can't get it out. So... <laughs> But other than that, I, I don't. There's not much I'm super um, scared of going into a climb. 
Or if I am scared, I know that if I'm at a belay ledge and I'm like, wow, I'm terrified to do this for some reason, like a particular route I'd had a bad injury on, going back to it, at the base of the route, I was I was, I was definitely scared knowing how badly I'd been hurt before on it. But as soon as I start climbing, I'm fine. And I just remind myself of that, that as soon as I get off the ground, I'm going to be fine. It's the standing on the belay ledge, the feeling of impending doom. Um, that always goes away. <laughs> <with happiness. laughs> you know, I've talked to so many people uh, about that. It's it's not when you're actually doing the, the actual event. In fact, I've yeah, actually um, yeah. have spoken with um, undercover police, and yeah. when they when they were getting ready to actually make the bust was the yeah. the scariest moment for them. Not the actual doing the bus when they kick down the door and do all that. Yeah. It was the actual anticipation of doing it. And I know with climbing, it's the same thing. You're, you get the butterflies, yeah. you get everything going on. Right. Well, that's so interesting, though, that you had that, you know, for undercover cops. I, I hadn't thought of that. But, yeah, for me, it's the anticipation that can be terrifying and um as soon as I start climbing, especially if it's something hard, I have that experience that you and I talked about earlier where suddenly you're 100% focused. There's nothing else. You don't hear anything else. You don't see anything else. All you're doing is focusing on on the climb. And it, it reminded me of a, a moment that Bob Scarpelli um, and I were talking about. I was on a Bob Scarpelli route, and I was like, you know, I thought I was going to die. I was terrified on it. And I was like, what was your experience on that route? And he said, well, at a certain point on that route, I quit climbing and just tried <laughs> to stay alive. <laughs> I was like, I get that. Um, um, where, where do you see yourself in 10 years? Um, well, I, you know, I, I, as far as off with, off with is really – crushes your body over a length of time. Um, but generally, I usually find one thing after another that I get super passionate and obsessed about. So before off with, I was super obsessed with um, uh, whitewater boating for a while and with painting for a while. And I lived on a Greek island and studied sculpting for a while. So there's always something that comes up, and I have no idea what it will be next. Maybe I'll return mm. to painting or sculpting again, which was a huge passion of mine before off with climbing. Um, mm. So we'll see. Uh, yeah, and uh, what kind of sculpting? Discussed, well, I actually Stone, wood? Um, yeah. When I was at Yale, I studied um, sculpting quite a bit, and. Uh, I think it really applies to off-with climbing in a lot of ways because it's these spatial relations. And for me, off-with, a lot of it is how do your how does your body move through space? And um, that was important to me as a as a sculptor as well. Um, but and again, uh, I think uh, we'll see what happens. But I, I have wanted to return to that for a long time. But I've I've put so much time into off-with that I haven't had time for other things, and uh, so I'm eager to have some time to get back to um, painting and writing. I've, I've really loved writing, and I, I'd like to write a book um, or maybe more. <laughs> Would it be uh, um, so, nonfiction yeah. or fiction? Uh, nonfiction, definitely nonfiction, just about the experiences I've had as a climber and 
um, Offutt climber and about Offutt itself and this entire experience, which has been just crazy and, uh, an, an amazing time. So yeah, there's, there's a lot of things I want to I think to it'd do. be an incredible um, book. It'd be incredible. Because, uh, knowing what you've been through a little bit here, I mean, we haven't even touched upon all the injuries you've been through and yeah. my God, it's, it's an incredible story. Well, I'm glad that you think so, because I would, I would, I would love to write it. And um, I've started, I've been through this whole seven years. I've kept um, journals of the experience from going back and forth, working at sea to being stuck in squeeze chimneys and the incredible exhilaration of, of establishing roots and then the incredible frustration of the haters. So there's nothing about the last seven years that has been, it's been all extremely intense and exhausting and overwhelming and amazing, but um, there's been nothing really restful about it. (laughs) Mm. All I can tell you Um, is ignore the haters. Believe me, years ago, 30 years ago, I had so many haters. Um, They were, because I was talking about sport climbing, I was talking about, uh, I mean, I was in Chicago doing the sports show with Arnold yeah. Schwarzenegger before he became No way, a, really? Yeah, yeah, he cool. was still competing. And I had <laughs> this, I just climbed the Chon Hancock Center after the Sears Tower, and they had this big crack machine that was 64 feet long, and we were doing, I was so doing cool. it for time. And I would, every hour on the hour, um, I would see how, if I could beat my time. And I think it was like, I was trying, always trying to do it under a minute. And, so awesome. and there'd be like a thousand people all gathered around and it would be, you know, counting down and five, four, three, two, one, go. And, then, <laughs> and, and I would be climbing just as fast as I could out those crack machines. I'd get to the top. Bam, and, and, and I would tell people, I said, you know, I know this sounds crazy, but someday there'll be cli- artificial climbing gyms in all the cities all around the world. And there'll be competitions wow. between colleges. And someday, yes, it'll even be in the Olympics. This is back in the 80s, and they thought I was wow. insane. They were labeled <laughs> the Antichrist. Burn him at the stake. Oh, my God, what They're is he talking about? <laughs> you know, and now look where we're at. <laughs> it's going to be Oh, that is, that is hilarious. That is so cool, imagining looking back to that and just seeing how things now, that is that is incredible. Yeah, and people must have yeah. been pissed about that. Oh, they were. They were. Like, yeah. And I won't mention any names. <laughs> I'll share them with you when I meet you. Perfect. <laughs> but all I can yeah. say is, is that uh, don't let them do that to you because it, it usually means you're really onto something. And it, for all of us climbers out there who have lived through a lot of those experiences, all I can say is, yeah. Use it as fuel to fire you up even more. Yeah, yeah. And that's the way I've been trying to think about it. And, uh, again, just focusing on what I'm doing. And, and like you said, assuming that the re- thinking of it as a positive, there's, if I was doing nothing, they wouldn't care. So obviously, no. doing something significant. <laughs> um, so, uh, lastly, but, I'd like to ask you. What words of inspiration would you like to share with a troubled black community? Well, you and I had talked about inspiration once before, and I've been putting some thought into it. And I think, again, it's um, the same the same topic I've been discussing a bit. Um, 
I really feel like taking your life or your climbing style in, in a similar way that I have with Offwit, that instead of looking at the anchor and being like, I want to be there, just looking at the next few feet in front of you and focusing on exactly where you're at. You know where your end goal is. You know where the anchor is. But if you're trying to hurry to get there and if it's all you're thinking about, you're missing every inch in between. And one of the aspects of Offwit I love is that really on vertical especially, you're just thinking inch to inch. And I do it all the time on climbs. I'll close my eyes and I'll think, okay, five more moves and then I'll rest. And then five more moves and then I'll rest. And then eventually you do get to the anchor. And I think it's a great way to think about life as well, that focusing on exactly where you are, having an idea of where you want to get, and then just being extremely patient about it. I'm not a patient person. And Offwitz has taught me that patience is one of the most important aspects of that style. So um, that that would be my words of advice or inspiration to other climbers. Just really focus on where you're at and what you love to do at that moment and, and then just uh, take it from there. <laughs> that's, that's beautiful. That really is. Thank, <laughs> well, thank well, you. Thank you. Thank you, Pamela. Um, I seriously... You are amazing inspiration for not only just women, but for all of us guys who are sitting on the couch just going, what the hell am I doing here? Why aren't I pushing myself a little harder? Thank you. The light and the fire in her eyes is saying, go for it. Well, thank you so much. And it's been so much fun talking to you. I can't wait until we can meet in person and, Go get some margaritas, and you can tell me Absolutely. more stories. Um, it's, <laughs> it's just been such a joy talking to you. So, Likewise. so again, thank Likewise. you so much. My pleasure. <laughs> wow. I hope you enjoyed that conversation as much as I did. Climbing seems to be one of the greatest metaphors that I know of. As Pamela said, focus on exactly where you're at. Be in the moment. Have an idea of where you want to get, then be extremely patient about it. And remember, no great achievement is ever accomplished overnight. And it's so true. Until next week, my friends, this is Dan Goodman with Troblack TV, your entertainment source for extreme sports.